Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue our study through the, uh, well, through the whole Bible, we're in the Old Testament now. We did the New Testament already. It took us five years, and now we're a year and a half into the Old Testament. We're in Exodus chapter 16. We've been making uh, progress. We're doing a week at a time, and uh, so that's very helpful for us. Remember that uh, when you study the Bible in context, it helps you keep things in place and sort of helps you to see how everything fits on the journey, and, and, um, and so, you know, I like to do that. I think it's important that we're reading through the Scripture together and uh, studying it in that way. So all those things are very, very helpful. Um, Exodus is a great uh, book, and it's got uh, uh, so much for us to learn. You know, we've, we've already been looking at the plagues and how important those were, the ten plagues that helped to set Israel free. Remember, we were sort of doing up the build-up all the way there to Passover and how important that is. Um, for us, and we, you know, we looked at all the, the, the symbolism in there. Um, we talked about the blood of the lamb, and, and uh, how the you know over the doorposts, and how important that is, and how the the angel of death passed over everyone marked uh, every doorpost marked with the blood of the lamb. There's a picture of Christ for us uh, on our journey, and then the parting of the Red Sea. We just talked about that, and how deliverance came through the water, and we we sort of you know made some. Uh, uh, we drew some ideas of baptism through that and what that means for us. And um, now we're, we're gearing up towards the giving of the law and also the establishing of the tabernacle and what that means um, is what we're going to do through the rest of Exodus. Um, but at this point in time, we're in Exodus 16. Now the, uh, the people of Israel, are um, they've been delivered. Um, the uh, Pharaoh's army has been swallowed up in the Red Sea. They, uh, we spent last week talking about the praise that um, came out in song uh, from the people of Israel. They broke into song when they realized what had happened, and they had indeed been set free. And then towards the end of chapter 15, uh, they started this little journey they were on, and they were three days into the journey, and there was no water, and they came upon a, a place of water, but the water was bitter. It was salty, and they couldn't drink it, and they started grumbling and complaining and saying we would have been better off in Egypt. And, um, and if you remember, you know, at the end of 15, um, God directed Moses to pick up a stick, throw it in the water. The water became um, potable, so they were able to drink it. And then he led them to a sort of oasis, if you would, in the desert. Remember, they're traveling in the desert where there was uh, a whole bunch of wells and 70 palm trees. Was it 12 wells or 15 wells? I don't remember now. But uh, there was enough wells, plenty of water for this this group of two million plus, maybe two and a half million that are making this journey in the middle of the desert, pretty big deal. So that's what's happening <clears throat> on, on the way. Now as we get into Exodus 16, Israel, um, they have to um, sort of learn how to walk in the Lord's way. And it, the big part of this is they're going to have to learn how to trust in the Lord and what that looks like in their day-to-day -day life. And really their survival is going to depend on the transformation of their culture. Imagine they've lived one way for 400 plus years and, um, you know, in, in bondage for a big chunk of that time, but that was their deal. They knew what their deal was. Um, it was. It was familiar to them. Oftentimes we'll setter, settle for familiar even if it's not good because it's familiar. Um, and you, they, that call of the familiar will hit them every now and again when situations get out of control. But uh, they need to learn to, to walk in a whole new way and exist in a whole new way. And it's really going to be paramount that they trust 
in the Lord on this journey. But for now, as you can imagine, um, that, that three days in the desert was pretty intense, and they were thirsty, and they, they didn't know how they were going to get water, and God provided water. Um, but, but now the, the big question is going to be, what are we going to eat? And uh, you're going to see a very similar situation to the question of last week, which is, what are we going to drink? And now it's, what are we going to eat? Uh, and this becomes the next big deal. And um, if you've never made the connection with what's going on here, this, uh, in Matthew 6, this is what Jesus is talking about in the whole um, do not worry about tomorrow. And, and so I wanted to read you Matthew 6, 25, 34 real quick. Um, and you'll see, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So those questions that are being asked in there that Jesus is talking about is really it's a lack of trust about what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear. That happens here. It's, he's sort of going back to Israel's history where that was the big issue um, on this journey, and uh, it's pretty fascinating to see. The um, people of Israel, so God is so patient. He's, he's going to train them how to live this life out. And you will see Moses get angry with them, but, but God is pretty patient um, on this whole journey as they learn things. Now, we're going to see another time. Now, they comp- they're going to complain again, and God sort of deals with it and provides for them because he's teaching them. A year from this point in time, not for us, but on their journey, um, about a year longer on their journey in numbers, they're, they're, um, when they, by then they should have known better, there's going to be a little more of a repercussion for not getting in line with the plan. But for now, lots of mercy, lots of grace, lots of patience. He's training them on how they're going to be his people and what that looks like. So you will see them complain, um, and generally their complaint is, we'll just go back to Egypt. Um, but, but um, sometimes when we're going through situations, um, we often think that uh, uh, the best thing we could do in a hard situation is to go to a different place, um, a geographical change we think is going to fix it. Either we're going to go to a new place or we're going to go to an old place, but somewhere we think things are going to be better. And the problem is, um, unless you deal with a situation, geography doesn't fix it. Uh, and... Um, so we'll just have the same problem in a new place and have to solve it there. So the, the reality is that, I like this, the heart of every problem um, is the problem in the heart. And uh, the hearts of many of the people of Israel were just not right with God yet, and that was going to need to get changed. And so they're going to be hungry, and they're, they're going to start remembering the food of Egypt like it was like the best thing ever. And uh, that's going to be part of their issue. 
And, they, and already, so they're hungry. I'm not picking on them, but remember, they just had the Red Sea part. They've just seen all these, God moving in all these plagues and how he's, re, and, and all of that's happened very, very soon, very quickly. But now they're hungry, just like when they were thirsty, and that becomes their main thing, and they start to complain. Moses, you're going to see Moses. He takes the right approach, which is really a, a faith approach. And um, basically, you know, by faith, it's, it's sort of that, that God can solve our problems by changing things, like he did with the bitter water being made potable, right? Um, or God can move into our problems by giving us something else, like he did at the wells at Elam, at the oasis there. Or sometimes what he does, he gives us the grace to bear with whatever the difficulties are and sort of know that he's with us and for us. And that's generally where growth comes in the process. So be looking for those things. Let me read you the scripture and we'll talk about it on the other side. This is Exodus 16. I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, You can follow along in whatever. The notes are on your sheet. They should be out of the NIV as well and up on the screen. If there's a difference between what I read and what's on the screen, it's because I use a 1984 translation of the NIV because I'm stubborn and haven't changed to the one that was in 2012. So you will see some differences sometimes in pronouns. Okay? Verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Are they making it sound good, right? Slavery. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that, we should, that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail that evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered uh, little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. When the sun grew hot, it melted away. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leader of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it till morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white, like coriander seed, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That clears it right up, the whole, oh, well, I didn't know what an omer was until I found out it was a tenth of an ephah. Now you all know. (laughs) Okay, so some really neat stuff, always neat stuff in the Scripture. So the the presenting issue that we have is food, uh, and the people were hungry and they were grumbling. But the... This, this chapter kind of brings up two other major issues, okay? Um, would the people learn to trust and follow the Lord's instructions for their daily life? That's really what's happening here. And secondly, would they learn who was responsible for their assembly, if you would, in the wilderness? Why were they there? Who was responsible for that? Because what you're going to see is they keep wanting to blame Moses and Aaron when, in fact, God's responsible for the whole thing. They have to learn these two things. They have to learn how to trust the... That's the big deal. They have to learn how to trust God for their daily life, just like everybody else. And they need to know who's responsible, good and bad, in their journey for what's going on. So let's look what happens. Now, the other thing, too, the desert of sin, um, that word there is related to the word Sinai, not to the English word sin. So it's not the desert of sin. That sounds bad. But but some people read that and think, but it's just... it's 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 That's Sinai. It's the same thing. It's just how they write it there, all right? And so instead of you thinking it's the desert of sin, it's the desert of Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai, however you want to get it. Um, but, but understand, it's this vast, um, hostile environment of sand and stone. That's, that's what's going on. That's what they're traveling through for big parts of this journey um, in the process. And this, this sort of barren nothingness is, is like the perfect place for God to teach his children to trust him because there's not going to be there's not going to be much else they're going to so he's really good that way he's, he's going to they're going to learn to trust him on this journey um, but here in the beginning now so you know, the change a big change of lifestyle for them after hundreds of years in captivity that they'd gotten used to even as bad as it was now there's freedom but there's all this other stuff going on they have to learn to trust the Lord and and so 
when they encounter something that's difficult, a circumstance they haven't experienced before, um, they will complain, and they, their complaint is that they long to be back in Egypt. Um, and, and the reality is they really didn't want to be back in Egypt. What they, were, they just wanted some solution to the difficult life they were experiencing at that moment. They wanted things to be a little easier. Uh, and so in the, in the pressure of the moment, they, they couldn't focus on the cause of their stress, which at this point in time was a lack of trust in God. All they could think about was their quickest way of escape. And, and the reason I think it's important to get that is that usually we get stuck there ourselves. When, when we get into a difficult circumstance and we start thinking how we're going to do it in our own strength, and, and what we come up with is what we think is the quickest way of escape out of the situation, it's often not the best way to go through things. And so if we can step back and go, but I trust in the Lord in this, um, He has a way. And so, you know, focus on God's power and wisdom when you get in one of those situations. That's what He's trying to teach them on the journey. So uh, in verses 4 and 5, then, God promises to meet their need for food in the desert. But He also wants to see if they're going to obey His instructions. It's a pretty big deal um, when you're following after the Lord, what that looks like. And, and um, we, we learn to trust Him as we follow Him. That's, that's how that works. That's, that's when you learn to trust God. As you're walking after Him and doing what He tells you to do, you, you learn that you can trust Him and that He's faithful in those situations. Because oftentimes, you know, that's where the sort of the rubber hits the road. We, we, we want to do our things our way, but we need to learn to do them His way. And when we learn that His way is better than our way, we, we figure out that we can trust Him because His ways are always better than our ways, and so it's usually by these small steps of kind of trust and obedience that happen. So, so God shares this plan that He has, um, this, these instructions for what's going to take place um, with Moses. He, um, he sort of hits the first issue, the presenting issue right now, which is hunger, and He's going to rain down bread. So that's pretty cool, considering, if you remember, not that long ago, He rained down hail on the other guys. Um, I would much rather have bread than the hail, and... Um, uh, the, the, and this bread, do you love that description at the end of the chapter? It was, it was white. And it should say, because coriander seed isn't white, it should be, it was white, comma, like coriander in, in taste and, and texture, and that it, it ended up tasting like a honey wafer. Doesn't that sound good? They had honey wafers for 40 years, and they could bake it, and you could boil it. It was like all purpose. You could make pizza out of it, I guess. Morning pizzas, toaster strudels. Well, not, not toaster strudels, but <laughs> they didn't have toasters yet. But, but um, it was, and, and they, it was, it was like awesome. It was, it was angel's bread. It was bread from heaven. It's like, we'll get manna. You know, it's going to be really cool. So anyway, um, so, but it, there was instructions. See, so he's, I'm going to rain down this bread every day. It's going to kind of show up as the dew goes away. There will be this this flaky sort of ready-to-be-bread stuff, and you're going to gather it up, and, and you can gather an omer for each person, and that will be enough for the day, and only gather enough for the day, and eat what you gather that day, because the next day won't be any good. And that's going to happen five days a week, he says. On that sixth day, go ahead and gather twice what you need, um, so you have enough for two days, and don't worry, it won't spoil on your Sabbath day. And that's the whole deal. And he lays this plan out for them. And really, the whole idea was, 
They were, they were going to learn to trust him. And he says, you know, the whole, the big sort of underlying theological thing in verse 4, he says, I want to see whether they'll follow my instructions. I want to I prove their ability to, to hear and to follow my instruction, to, to walk in my plan. And remember, he's, the hope is that he's going af- to form this, this uh, assembly of people, this group of people um, that, could, that, will, that will bless the world um, through the way that they live. That's, that's what's taking place. So it's a pretty big deal in what's happening then. And he's preparing them with this, these simple steps for the much bigger coming of Torah, um, which will come very soon, the instructions for life that he's going to give them. This is the very first one. This is very simple. This is daily stuff. This is about bread, sustenance, the way of life. Um, most of the discussion here is about the bread because it's such a staple of life. The quail sort of gets a quick mention, but he does bring them in some nice quail every, every night for dinner. And, uh, but the bread is there every day, and it's, uh, you know, in like every culture of the world, bread is the main staple. If you've got bread, you live. If you don't, you're in big trouble. So um, they had bread every day, and thank you. And then they had... Um, so, so think, so they're learning to follow the Lord in their daily bread. So, you know, you ever wonder about some of the prayers that we read about? Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Jesus model prayer. It's, it's a basic trust thing. That's what's coming out of Exodus right now in the process. So that's the first issue. The, the, the second issue is that they would learn who's responsible for them being in the desert. And... They always want to, when everything's going bad, they want to blame Moses and Aaron. They'll do this time after time. And I love Moses and Aaron. During this whole thing, they keep saying, you will know that it was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Um, And in every verse, you'll see the glory of the Lord. You'll know it was the Lord. Come before the Lord. There's the glory of the Lord. You'll know that He's the Lord your God. Because they want to to blame Moses and Aaron. And and so they, and they're like, they saw Moses, you know, pick up a stick and throw it in the water and give them clean water. So they kind of think he did that, but he was doing it in the Lord's instruction. So even though they're, they're complaining against Moses and Aaron, in effect what they're doing is complaining against the Lord, and they need to know that that's what's taking place in the process. And, um, and so, and see, it's, it's critical that they figure this out because they'd been under these hundreds of years in Egypt where they picked up a lot of false gods and false worship. And they need to know they can trust the Lord or what they're going to do is pick those gods back up again, those little G gods. And in fact, they do it when they make the golden calf. They kind of, they, they're going to quickly go back. But he's trying to train them in the process. And so he wants them to stop relying on Moses and start relying on him. That's what God's trying to do in the process. And, and Moses even said, who are we that you're grumbling against us? You know, you're not, it's not us you're grumbling against, it's him. Okay. Um, so then manna... Verses 14 and 16 appears on the ground, thin flakes like frost. They gathered it. They ground it like grain, made it into pancakes, you know, whatever that was going on. And uh, it was this gift, this reminder, daily reminder of of God's provision for them. Uh, In John 6, I'm not going to read you the verses, but beginning in verse 48, Jesus compares himself to to manna because he's our, you know, he's our daily bread. Jesus is our daily bread who satisfies our eternal spiritual needs in our lives. It's a picture of that happening. Verse 23, um, 
they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. This was a new institution. This is the first time it's being installed. And um, they weren't even supposed to cook on that day. They were just supposed to take a break. And, and you know, God knows that the, the, the sort of busy routine of daily living could distract people from worshiping Him. And then still the same thing. It, it's easy for us to get so overwhelmed with life and get so busy that we, we don't take time to worship. And, you know, I just always say it's always important. You make sure you're getting that time um, with the Lord. That, and, and even that, resting, see, resting, taking a day off demonstrates trust in the Lord. You can't do it unless you trust in the Lord. You won't do it. You, you'll think that you have to stay busy all the time in order to make it. And that's, that's a, big, it's a big trust issue. And um, being able to stop and, and accepting our, our daily bread and needs as a gift really changes things in our life. And, and it acknowledges the work of God in us and what He's doing through us. In verse 23, it says that it was a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so, so taking that day of rest acknowledges that, that holiness isn't earned or... Um, or sort of inherited from the Lord, but it's a gift from the Lord. It's it's um, they, they they by observing Sabbath they were made holy in effect by doing nothing, and and uh, it's a pretty important process because you know what we have in the Lord and the life that we have in Him is His work through us. We yield to the work of the Spirit. I've been telling you that a lot lately, but we don't earn it, we don't work for it, we don't perform for it. He does it in us. And, and this is a picture. It's, this is a lesson that the Lord's trying to teach people from the beginning of this relationship with them um, in the process because He's the one that does the work in us. It's not us making it happen. And then there at the end, they put some of this manna in a special jar um, that's still apparently around somewhere, I would guess. Uh, and uh, I don't know where, but I, I'm sure it didn't spoil. But, but um, people have thought about it. Um, you know, it's just, just a reminder of what God had done for them. That's why they were told to keep it, as a reminder of providing you. Those last few verses in that chapter were sort of postscripted in there um, because he, when he write, wrote it, we think he wrote it during the journey. Moses was writing these things, and he wouldn't have known at that point in time that the manna was going to be good for 40 years. So uh, he add, those last few verses were added at some point, by, by, most likely by Moses, but sort of towards the end of the whole process. Um, so remember, when I, when I tell you, when you read these first five books, every now and again, you're going to get something that goes, well, how is that there? It's not there chronologically. It's Moses wrote them all, and he was at, oh, I should put this back at the end of chapter 16. <laughs> that would be a good spot for that. Huh? All right? Anyway, that's good for that. Lots of neat stuff coming up. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you spending the time with us. Come and see us when you get a chance. And uh, if you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We will pray for you, and uh, God bless you guys.